Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Gary Owen with the uh, Get Some Solo episode. Uh, I'm excited. Bengals made a lot of good free agent moves this week. We're off the bat. Normally, the Bengals, the tradition is we sit back and wait, and we become a frustrated fan base, and I get on social media, and I say stuff like, you know, hey, did someone let the Bengals know free agency started? I mean, it was like 30 seconds in, bam! They signed Karras from, uh, well, they signed the the guard from Tampa, and they signed the center from New England. I was like, oh, my God. That's all we need. And I, I saw these other people making all these signings of wide receivers and running backs and quarterbacks switching teams. I'm like, dude, I'm on the, I'm on the Ron Artest line of thinking. When he got signed with the Lakers after the Lakers won the title in 2009, somebody said, hey, Ron, do you think you make the Lakers better? He goes, they just won the title. I can make them the same. He goes, I can't make them better. I was like, that was the most brilliant response. And that's that's all the Bengals. We just got to beat one more team. We just need one more second in the pocket, and we're Super Bowl champs. So, so happy they addressed it. And they're still not done. We still got the draft. So, it's a good time to be a Bengals fan. Um, put it out there. This year before the season starts, going to get Joe Burrow on the podcast. Either he's going to come to L.A., we're going to do it. I got to make some phone calls. TJ Hushmanzada, Coach Zach Taylor. Or I want to do on location in Cincy, like right when training camp starts, right when he ain't doing nothing. He's not getting hit. He knows the playbook. I'm going to get Burrow and I'm going to get Mixon and Jamar and T and Tyler and all the coaches. I just watched, on my flight over here, I just watched Miracle, the, the Kurt Warner story. Uh, I got to say, I would have left. I would have left his wife early on. I watched that and I was like, whoa, she has some trust issues and she had two kids. I was like this. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> my, my Kurt Warner story would have been completely different. I would have been the single guy that believed in himself, and I made it, despite these girls that were coming at me and everything else. I was like, whoa. that was <laughs> Kudos to Kurt Warner, but that would have not been my story. I'm just telling you. I would have been not going up in the stands kissing some lady. I would have been like, yo, we're, we're in Atlanta. Let's hit the Magic City. We just won a Super Bowl. Let's get it. Um, so good movie though, but not how I would have did things. Cause man, that guy's a saint for real. Uh, I'd, I'd probably have been more of the Michael Irvin if I'd have been in the NFL, that type of party. Michael Irvin, and I said in my act a while back, said one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen anybody say in the history of football. And I can't find it anywhere on YouTube, but I saw it when it happened. The Cowboys just beat the Packers. When the Packers had Brett Favre, and they're getting ready to play the Steelers in the Super Bowl. And they're interviewing, like, Troy Aikman or Moose Johnson or something. And Mike's in the background. And he's got a towel on, and he's going back and forth. And, you know, Irvin was the vocal one of the Cowboys. And he was like, tonight, it's limos, hoes, and papados. And I was like, holy shit. I don't, I don't know where he came up with that line. But I had never been to Texas before when I saw that. So when I first got to Texas... First place I thought of, first time I went, I go, they said, where you going to go? I said, Papados, because I thought that's where the hoes were. But I found out it was a restaurant. I was like, well, there's the lobster. Where's the hose? So uh, I'd have been more a Michael Irvin type. So enough about that. A lot of moving in the NFL right now. Um, let me tell you a couple things that have been going on in my life that's interesting. So you go to Vegas, and uh, people always say um, either win big or – I never went in Vegas for some reason. Never. Especially on slot machines. I think you had a better chance at cards 
or dice than slot machines. So I got an ant. I'm not gonna tell you which ant because I don't. I want to. Um, I want to keep her private. So she goes to Vegas. She shoots me a text. Hey, I just won four thousand dollars. No way. Hour later, I just won six thousand dollars. No way. Texts me at like four in the morning. Four or five in the morning, East Coast time. So she's in Vegas. So it's like two, 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 two three in the morning, something like that in Vegas. My aunt won $1.7 million on a slot machine in Vegas. I've never heard anybody win that much. So here's where it gets interesting. You think $1.7 million, buzzer goes off, everything's great. Let me tell you, let me tell you how it is when you win $1.7 million on a slot machine in Vegas. One, she was doing paperwork and in an office four or five hours after she won. Like, they had to get everything in order. Da, da, da. Then they give her the option. Eight, it was, it was 825000 for the next 20 years. Let me do the math on this. It was, it was either 875000 for the next 20 years or 825000 Let's see what – let me get my calculator here. Uh, it's – let me see if it's 825,000 times 20 equals. Nope, that's definitely not it. Um, that's not it. I don't know. And it was 825,000. Somebody do the math because I'm not good at this. 825,000 times 20. That's just 16 million. That's not right. How's that right? 825,000? Oh, 82,000. I'm sorry. 82,500. My math is all fucked up. That's it. That's 1.6500. So it was, here's, here's her, here were her options. Eight, $82,500 a year for the next 20 years. Or take the lump sum, which comes out to $1.2 So she automatically loses $500,000 right off the bat. She's in her 60s. So she's like, I'm not, I might not even be here for 20 years, or I'm not going to be in a place where I'm really enjoying it for the next 20 years. So she said, I want the lump sum. So then she gets, so she gets 1.2 million from the casino, but she gets taxed on it. So th- she ended up with a little under 800,000 off of 1.7 million. So I was like, you really don't win 1.7. It reminds me of like when I when I went on the slot machine. I've, if you went over in Cincinnati, there's a, there's a casino. I think it's, I don't know what it is now. It's changed. It was the Hollywood. Then it was the horseshoe. Then it turned into, um, I think it's the hard rock now. I think it's the hard rock now. Uh, if you on the slot machines and I go back to the high roller slots where I'm in Ohio, which means the high roller slots are $10 and $25 a spin. And then they got like three or $400 machines. So I like, it, it's, it's it sounds bad. It's not even fun to play on a quarter machine or a dollar machine anymore. Like you can't. The risk reward isn't enough for me to get my juices going. So and I don't gamble a lot, but so I got to be on the five or ten dollar normally. So I'm on the usually five or ten. If you win twelve hundred, you get taxed on it. If you win one thousand one hundred and ninety nine, you don't get taxed. You're better off just coming in under. So there's been a couple times I've I've won like. 
1150 on a slot machine, I was like, great. And there's other times I've won like 1250, but after they take all the taxes out, I ended up with like $800, 750. I'm like, you're better off under 1200. You're better off winning between like 950 and 1199 than going over 1200 because then you get taxed. So it's weird how that works, but the fact that my aunt, one, I've never heard anybody, I've never, I don't know, I've heard, but I've never known anybody to win that amount of money on a slot machine in a casino in Vegas in the middle of the night. I thought they would time it. I think, I think everything's somewhat rigged, but someone has to be honest in any slot machine or casino. Why would you want somebody winning 1.7 million at three in the morning? Because nobody's really paying attention. I figure you want somebody winning between like 9 p.m. and like 2 a.m., like peak hours when the casino's just jumping and it's packed and everything else. But 3 a.m., I think she won or something like that. Cause she's, and she said she was getting ready to go to bed. She told her husband, hey, I'm going to sit down here. I'm already up. I'm going to make sure I'm up. She was up like 10000 already for the night. And she just, ah, oh, I was like, but she wins a lot. You know those people, they always win a lot when they go to Vegas. She wins a lot. So that was interesting. I thought that was a funny short story to share. Uh, another funny story. It's just going to be a bunch of funny stories this episode. Um, I'm going through Starbucks. And my last comedy special was called Black Famous. It's on Showtime On Demand right now because I'm famous with black people. So I go through the Starbucks, and this is a classic example. I wish this would have happened before I filmed my special because this, this story would have been in my special. So I'm in Starbucks. I'm in line. Got a friend of mine in the car, and she's never – she hasn't been around me enough to, uh, to see, quote-unquote, me being black famous. We're in Starbucks, and first of all, we get in line. It was it was a black Starbucks. It was in this part of town. It was black people, black employees. It was a black Starbucks, and it. <laughs> I get to the window, and the guy goes, "Oh shit, nah, man, nah, this can't be. My drink is hot. He, it's sitting right there. I, he's just not giving it to me. He's giving this whole spiel that he's a rapper. He's trying to make it." He writes his Instagram name on a napkin, hands it to me. Hey, man, check me out. Check my music if you like it. You know, like it. Follow me. Follow me. I thought he was going to tell me to pick up my phone and follow him. So now I'm like, can I just get my fucking drink? It's, I'm just looking at it, and it's cold out. I was like, dude, I just want my drink. So he tells the other employees, hey, look who's in line. Look. <laughs> so now I got four or five people. Got their hands out. I'm signing stuff. The guy goes, literally, this guy comes out of left field. Hey, hey, Gary, you like honey? You like honey? I was like, yeah, I like honey. I thought he was about to make me some special drink. Yeah, I, I do honey. He's going to give you some honey. <laughs> I see him run to the front of Starbucks, get to the trunk of his car. And he's got all these fucking honeys in his truck. And he brings out like three different ones. Yeah, this the habanero. That's the habanero. That's spicy right there. And then this one, this is like a, a lemon garlic type. I was like, what? The, what's going on right now? So now I got these three big bottles of honey. All I wanted was a latte. <laughs> so now I have the next big rapper that I'm supposed to follow on social media. I got the honey man from, 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 from Starbucks. And God bless the hustle. But the whole time, nobody's giving me my fucking drink. <laughs> The guy had enough time to go to his car, get honey, come back, 
breaks down the honey. But I kept thinking, does he have bees at his house? Is there a honeycomb at the apartment? I don't know. Like, <laughs> where'd he get the honey? Or does he just buy honey, put his own labels on it, and pours it into the bottle? Because it's one of those bottles. I don't know. Listen, I, I might have to go back to that Starbucks. Not knocking the hustle. Just listen, next time, um, rapper guy and honey man, give me the drink first. I'm not going to drive off. I'll listen to your story. But I, fe I felt like they weren't giving me my drink because I felt, <laughs> and this is me overthinking. I'm an overthinker, is if we give him his drink, he might leave. So we're going to hold his drink hostage. So he has to stay here. I was just like, you got to be kidding me. And when we drove off, the, <laughs> the girls in the car just looked like, does this happen a lot? <laughs> it's like, with black people, it does. So it just fed right in to my special Black Famous. It was, uh, it was so perfect. So uh, I, had, I had Faison on last week. And like Faison's one of my favorite people on the planet. And uh, we were talking about the movie we did back on the strip. And a lot of people know I tore my ACL uh, shooting the movie. And we finally got a surgery date set. The problem, here's a problem with uh, knee surgery and me being on the road is there's it's uh, one there's never a good time to get it done uh two it's like i have to literally go through my dates this is how comedians work so i gotta get my i gotta get acl reconstruction so we're trying to figure out a date we could do it we came up with a date just my luck the surgeon isn't available and the, the surgeon i want to do it he's a great surgeon he does a lot of nfl and nba guys stuff he um he, he, he does surgeries on Fridays. That's his day to do ACL surgeries. And what's amazing about ACL surgeries, I'm thinking it's a big deal. Like, this is, like, going to set me back a couple weeks, going to be in a brace for five weeks. It's just, it's a, for me, it's a six to nine month whole ordeal. I'm not an athlete. I don't have to get back on the field. But for me to just walk normal and get back to exercising, it's, it's going to be about six months, like, normal exercising. Uh, so I'm thinking it's a big ordeal for him, too. No, 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 no. These surgeries are like 50 minutes now for these, these surgeons that do ACLs. He just rattles them through it. It's like a conveyor belt of surgeries. Because literally, his assistant called and was like, yeah, um, he's not going to do it this week. Can we get Gary in? We originally had him for 3 p.m. Can he come in at 8? Because he's just going to do like 4 before lunch, and then he's going to head out early. I was like, what? He, he just, he's looking at it like four knees. <laughs> I'm not even a human. I'm like livestock. My knee's just livestock. So we're going to get the cadaver. I'm getting a donor. We're going that route. Because the, the surgeon, he's like, you're over 40. And my surgeon's over 50. He goes, if I, he's asked me what I want. So I'm always under the impression, what would you do? If it was your knee, what would you do? So he told me the, the, the donors, get, get, a, get a cadaver, somebody that passed away or something that it's such a morbid way of thinking like i'm getting gonna get somebody's acl and mcl like replaced and it's gonna be somebody that had to pass away so hopefully it was an athletic freaky dude okay another thing now we all know about ukraine and russia what's happened over there but i'm shocked that the britney griner story isn't bigger news the fact that she's over there uh in a russian prison and Nobody's making a big deal out of it. Like, it's not the front page at SportsCenter or ESPN. And I'm going, oh, my God. She would stick out 
in any prison because how tall she is. But in a Russian prison, she's got to be the only black person in there, I bet. If, there, if, if there's another black person, they're definitely not from Russia. And she's so tall. And I'm just like, but it's funny how people are doing this. They're like, she had, she didn't have weed. She had like some kind of CHP, some kind of, some kind of, some kind of drug. I don't know. Some kind of CBD, something, oil or something. And not, really not a big deal is what it was. And the fact that she's locked up, why they attacked the Ukraine makes it all the, all the worse. And then, but it's funny how people are like, well, if they paid the WNBA players more, uh, then she wouldn't have to play in the offseason in Russia. And I'm going, yeah, but let's let's stop that. Let's let's be honest. I'm all about equality and everything else, but WNBA is never going to make as much money as NBA because they don't generate the same revenue as the NBA. There's a reason the same, the USFL or any of these football leagues come around, they will never compete with the NFL. They just... They're never going to make as much money as you can in the NFL. Any, anybody that plays baseball and anything, Major League Baseball, there's, there's a reason for it. The, the few sports where women make as much as men, tennis, because I'll be honest with you, I'll watch female tennis before I watch male tennis any day of the week. Um, any of the, like, Olympic sports, if you can get the right story and the right athlete, then, yeah, that, that'll draw your attention. Like Floris Griffith Joyner when she was doing when she was in the Olympics or Jackie Joyner Kersey. Like yeah, you didn't miss them. You watched them. So yeah, that generates just as much money as the men's. But don't make it it's almost like I hate when people do that. Like they're they're making like it's the NBA's fault or it's it's the public's fault that she has to work in the offseason because she doesn't make as much money as the NBA guys. I go, they just they don't generate the revenue. No, there's no um, you know, the live gate's good. But as far as TV deals and everything, there's no TNT, Barkley, Shaq, and Kenny Smith type deal for the WNBA that you're glued in three days out of the week to watch the game and then watch the commentary afterward. It's just, it's just, it's not happening. It's soccer isn't as big in the United States. Nobody's gonna play soccer for the Columbus Crew and make as much money as they could for Manchester United. It's just, it is what it is. I mean, you can't explain it until it gets more popular, which I don't think will ever happen. But let's stop with the guilt trip. But let's also, come on now. It wasn't that big of a deal. She shouldn't be locked up. But I'm just shocked that's not bigger news. If it would, but I would say if it, was, if it was a LeBron or even a J.J. Redick, it'd be big news over here. But I'm just, I, I can't imagine what's going through her brain right now. Like, was she, I, does she know what's going on over here? Like people, like she's on Center and stuff? Or is she not as big a news as she would think? I just... I can't imagine that that hopeless feeling knowing not when you're going to get out. Like, am I going to be in here for a week? Am I going to be in here for a year? That's got to be a helpless feeling, so I feel bad for her. Um, okay, another thing I want to address is I've seen lately a lot of people talking about T.I. doing stand-up. Um, I personally haven't seen T.I. stand-up. What I do know is T.I. has always hung out at comedy clubs, which doesn't make you stand-up. He's always been cool with all the comedians, and I see him, like, watching us do it. Um, real cool with little Duval. I think he was instrumental in Duval kind of transferring it. Duval's more of an entertainer now. 
Lil Duval's not even just a stand-up. You, I don't even think he does just go to a show, do jokes, and leaves. Now he, he incorporates song with the dance. And I saw, I saw where T.I. had the thing with Godfrey, where T.I. went up at the Atlanta Comedy Theater after Godfrey. Godfrey says some things on, on somebody's podcast, and then T.I. called in. I give it to T.I. T.I. ain't no punk. You talk about him, he's coming right at you. He's coming to the source. Because uh, everyone was a little shook. I ain't gonna lie. When I watched the interview and, and saw T.I. coming to Godfrey, I was like, ooh. T.I. had everybody shook in that. Because Godfrey had like two people with him. And they, I don't even know why they was there. They were just sitting there. And then everything they said was, was very like, hey, listen, this is what we're trying to say. It wasn't, boom, coming at you. Because T.I. was coming in aggressive. And I, here's the thing about stand-up. It's not our job to say who and who's not a stand-up. And I, I was trying to see it from Godfrey's point of view. If you don't know the story, so Godfrey was headlining one weekend at the Atlanta Comedy Theater. T.I. came in one night and went up after Godfrey. And when he did, he did like 40 minutes. And Godfrey had said, you know, when you're the headliner, that should be the end of the show. You know, point blank period, that's it. But there's also exceptions to the rule. There's no like, there's no handbook to this. There's, it's not football. It's not once, once the game's over, the game's over. You got to realize if you're the club owner, uh, like Gary Abdul is the other uh, Atlanta comedy theater, a superstar like T.I. comes in and says, hey, I want to go up. Whether he's singing or telling jokes, you're going to put him up for as long as he wants to go up because now people are like, you don't know who's going to show up. It's all about... There's a lot of funny people out there that aren't selling tickets and they don't get booked as much as they would hope because it's not about how funny you are. It's about how many asses you can put in the seats. Um, so I, I, I saw Godfrey's point of view and I think Godfrey was kind of just having fun with it, but was little, maybe his ego was a little hurt or I was like, hey man, this is what we do. I don't, because Godfrey said, I didn't watch his act and everything. I, I got his point of view. And then, but when T.I. called in, and but here's the thing with T.I. too, man. In the comedy business, we give each other shit a lot. So you got to be able to, you got to have thick skin because you got to take it. Because honestly, some of the best times I have on my podcast is when somebody's giving me shit about my shit. Faison was in my ass last week about my divorce, my, my kids and everything else. And that's just what we do. That's just what we do. I, I, I remember Russell Peters telling me at his 50th birthday party, he was upset because he got all these comedians there and everybody was talking so good about him. And he's like, I want people to roast me. I want people to go in. He goes, Jesus Christ, my girl just left me, left me with this kid and everything else. And he was like, nobody was bringing it up. He's like, so that's what we do. So I think two things. I think Godfrey didn't think T.I. was going to come back at him, honest, the way he did, if he's, if he's just being honest. And I think T.I. was taking things a little too personal where – it was good to see them like, like at the end come together and like they they had the, uh, I feel like Antonio Brown the kumbaya moment, and everything. But it was good they got to talk it out on air. But there, listen, when you got anybody that's huge and Ti is huge, and especially in Atlanta, that's his city. Um, he kind of has carte blanche, whatever he wants to do. He can, I'd be like, thank God he went up after me, then before me. Because I remember there was a first time I ever went to New York and did Caroline's. Chris Rock came in 
And the guy, literally the manager goes, hey, Chris, I've never been, Caroline's never been to New York. And I'm already nervous. I'm early 20s, my first headlining gig. And you know, you just, you think, you don't know who's in the audience. You don't know what's going to happen. So they say, hey, Chris Rock just got here. He's going to go up and do about 10, 15. No, he did about 45. And then he gets off. And I remember they say, hey, Gary, just do like 20. Don't worry about headlining for an hour. I said, no shit. <laughs> but what say not same that I was good thing that night was <clears throat> Chris is already huge. This is the late nineties. Um, not as iconic as he is now, but still huge. And there was like, I guess a tour group from Ireland that was there. So they took up literally 50, 60 of the seats. It wasn't sold out. We probably had 200 people in the room that night, but 50, you got to realize 25% of the audience was from Ireland. And literally I remember Chris Rock, like some people stood up and then these people from Ireland just looked and Chris immediately addressed him. He goes, what's your guys problem? The guy goes, oh, no offense. I just, I don't know who you are. And Chris like, well, I don't know who you are. And it was just funny watching this back and forth. And I was like, it kind of was good for me because they didn't know who he was when he walked out. Uh, so I think <clears throat> I would rather if somebody like T.I. came in the room, I'd rather him go up after me. Now, what nobody's saying, though, in uh, in Godfrey's defense, is sometimes headliners have merch. So we sell T-shirts, we take pictures, we do meet and greets after the, after the show, which can generate a decent amount of money sometimes. Uh, so T.I. goes up and does 40 minutes after Godfrey. Now, Godfrey, if he's got merch and he's selling T-shirts, taking pictures, now he's stuck. He can't leave until T.I. gets off if he wants to keep selling his merch. That was never brought up. I was like, that would have been the only thing if... if that happened to me, I would have no argument with T.I. going up, do as long as you want. My only thing would be like, damn, I'm trying to sell these damn t-shirts, take these pictures. And then the later it gets, it's weird. When you get to the late show on these comedy clubs, uh, the later you go, because there's some nights I'll get to rambling and I'll do a couple hours. And I always notice when I do a couple hours, when I go try to sell merch or do take pictures afterwards, I don't sell as much because people are tired or they want to get home or whatever reason. I've always noticed that about comedy clubs. Uh, so, <clears throat> I don't know. I just think, uh, I think Godfrey thought he was just kidding on a podcast. I don't think he realized it was going to come back on him like that. And then when T.I. called in so aggressive, I was like, whoa. <laughs> you can, I, I think Godfrey's even taken back. He's like, whoa, I, didn't, I wasn't expecting this to go this route. Uh, but, it, you know, T.I. coming from the rap game, you know, you address the beef immediately. Kudos to T.I. for just addressing the source, not, not going on somebody else's podcast and talking about, I heard Godfrey said this. He called Godfrey immediately. And kudos to both of them for working it out. I just, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I think, uh, I think, Godfrey, I didn't think, I think he thought he was kidding. He was talking shit and kind of jabbing at T.I. Like, hey, you're new to the game. But, and I think T.I. also needs to, you know, to be in stand-up, got to take some shit sometimes. And they ended up working it out. But it was, it was tense for a minute. I go, oh, where's this going? So, but, I don't know. They both can come on my show. We, they can talk about it. The last thing I want to talk about was Cain Velasquez, former UFC champion. From what all accounts, nice guy quiet, polite. I mean, all his interviews, you could tell he's just, just a decent human being. Daughter gets molested by this guy over a hundred times. She's four years old, which psychologically is going to mess her up, which messes the whole family up for years to come. If, if they ever get over it, I don't know. Um, 
So he, they arrest the guy, and the, this, this, the problem with this is the whole judicial system. They let him out to his trial and house arrest, and so he gets out, and then Cain Velasquez, like, follows him and shoots at him, shoots his stepdad that was in the car, didn't, didn't shoot the actual perpetrator, shot his stepdad. Luckily, nobody was killed. Um, and then, uh, so Kane is now in jail. He can't get out because, you know, shooting at somebody. But the other guy's out. And nobody knows how you're going to react to stuff until it happens to you. Like, we always say, like, I, you never know if somebody pulls a gun on you. Are you going to be the guy that freezes? Are you going to be that goes after the gunman? Or, like, I've seen guys, you know, getting get confrontations. And you can tell right away a guy that's ready to fight and a guy that's just talking shit. So we always say, like, if somebody did that to my daughter, he wouldn't walk the face of the earth. And nine times out of ten, that's not what happens. Kane was like, took matters into his own hand. Um, my thing is this. I hear what the cops are saying. You can't be these vigilantes. You can't just be shooting people because other people could get hurt. He shot into a truck where people were helping a child molester. So I'm okay with that. If the stepdad got shot, hey, you shouldn't have picked him up. Shouldn't have been driving him. I know that's your son. Because that is the one thing I don't think there's a cure from is pedophiles. I, I, we should honestly find a city, find an area of the country, an area of this earth. And you want to talk about building a wall? Build a wall. Just throw them in there. All the pedophiles. They can fend for themselves. You ain't got to put no food in there. Ain't got to put no building. Build a wall. I don't care where you want to build it. Just, I don't know. And pick a city. Pick a part of the country nobody goes to. So, you know, uh, go up to Montana. Go, go, uh, I'm sure there's parts of Mississippi. We could do like a 20 square mile wall. Just build around there. And just drop them off. We're done with them. Taxpayers ain't got to worry about it. We got the wall built. They can't get in. They can't get out. Get a couple guards there. Almost like parking lots have low overhead. So, Make this like a parking lot for pedophiles. Drop them off behind a wall. Boom. They're good. Leave them alone. Because my problem with the whole story is people, when people go to prison, it's because they're a, you know, a threat to society, basically. So I don't think Cain is a threat to society. Cain is a threat to child molesters, specifically child molesters that molest his kids. He's not a threat to any of us. I'm... I'm no, but I don't think anybody in this room is afraid to be around Cain Velasquez. I'm not. But you know who I would be afraid to be around? The child molester. The guy that, so it's all backwards right now. And I think sometimes you got to take the law out of it and use common sense in certain situations too. Whether the judge or the sheriff or the attorney or whatever, you got to be like, hey, you always say if it was you, but if it was you, come on now. What would you do? We don't know what we would do. We say we think we know, but we don't. But my thing is, how can we justify this guy at home right now and Kane in prison for what he did to his daughter? And even if he shot his stepdad who was driving, I'm sorry if you're in my family, you do something like that. I'm not picking you up. I'm not helping you in any kind of way. I'm not facilitating. I don't care who you are. Um, so I'm not saying he deserved to get shot, but I don't feel bad for him. I, nobody. Um, so that's my thing. He's not, he's not a threat to society. He's a threat to child molesters. So I say we build, if you want to build a wall, that's the wall we build. Mississippi, there's places, I'm sure. Um, Arkansas, there's a lot of 
fields in Arkansas, just and drop them off. That's it. Ping. Almost like remember Escape from New York, Escape from LA, something like that. Drop them off and let them fend for themselves. They can whatever they want to do. All right. All right. Well, uh, sorry to end on that note, but um, I'll see you guys next week. Um, and that's all I got. Go Bengals.